Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Today I want to share with you from Acts chapter 8. So if you did bring your Bibles, turn to, to Acts chapter 8. And thank you, Tim and Candace, again for opening up your house. You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. Thank you for singing loudly, even though your hot breath is overcoming the power of the air conditioner to keep up with it. Thank you. Sing anyway. We'll put up with the heat. We're getting there. You guys are amazing. Thank you. One day we'll take up an offering for your electric bill. We love you. We love you. We love you. Thank you. Um, Acts chapter 8, and I'm still in Isaiah 40. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I was so encouraged to hear the message that they put out. Um, Awaken Church. Very encouraged. We're praying for them. And we're not beating up on churches that are still just meeting online, are we? But we know what God's called us to do. And God's called us to do more than just comply. Acts chapter 8. Let me give you a little background on this. So by this time in the book of Acts, there... Uh, you know, Jesus had ascended into heaven the day of Pentecost came. The Holy Spirit came. There were 3,000 added to the church in one day. But now they're starting to face a little bit of opposition. Interestingly, not so much opposition from Rome, opposition from those who crucified Jesus, opposition from the religious structures and cultures of the day to which this new message of the gospel of Jesus Christ was starting to shake the foundations of what they always thought was to be true. Some people would rather hold on to their tradition even when it's dead because they're afraid of something new. And it's easier to just stay with what I have even though it's dead and lifeless than move on to something that's unfamiliar. And so they were shaking up these various religious systems that Jesus came to fulfill through his death and resurrection. Because of that, they were getting persecuted. And with that persecution came a massive scattering. People were scattered. You imagine that would happen. The only people that were left in Jerusalem itself were the apostles. Everybody else was gone. But here's what I love in Acts chapter 8. In verse 4, it says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Hey, I got to go. I can't stay. I'm no longer welcome in this city because what's happening here is shaking up the authorities that are. So I've got to go. I can't stay here. I know some people are like, I'm moving to Georgia. Because Georgia's got better laws. I'm moving here. I'm moving there. I was like, you know, every four years they have a new government, right? So I don't know that moving is the right answer. But wherever you go, they preach the gospel every single where they went. So even though they had to go, they understood the mission. The mission is the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has come and he has come to seek and save the lost. So even if I got to go, I'm still going to bring the message. There's a scattering that happened, but the disciples are still left, okay? They, these, these, these believers, and I'm going to make a difference between a disciple and an apostle here. So the apostle that I'm referring to are the 12 apostles Jesus took with him. The disciple is anybody who made a decision to follow Jesus and to make other disciples. So the group of the disciples on the day of Pentecost was about 120. It wasn't just the 12 apostles. So when I use the word disciple, I'm actually talking about anyone who believes in Jesus and chooses to spread the message of the gospel, as opposed to an apostle who's one of the original 12. Make sense? Over-explained? That's what I thought. We'll keep moving. All right. So the apostles are the ones that stayed in Jerusalem. 
even though the disciples were scattered and took the gospel everywhere they went. But in verse 5, it says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. Philip was one of the 12 apostles. So Philip sees the scattering of the disciples, but decides, you know what? I'm going to go, and I'm just going to keep carrying on this supernatural ministry of Jesus. That's what God's actually called me to do. So Philip goes down to Samaria, begins to preach, and he sees massive effect from what God does. There are miraculous signs that are happening. People are paying close attention to them. Demons are leaving people. And by the way, there was lots of demons that were shrinking and leaving. Lots of demons. They were always there. And sometimes I think when you show up to a place, demons will shriek. Don't freak out. Because the demons were already there. It's now that your presence is there, filled with the Holy Spirit. They just can't stay anymore. I think one of the things that's going to mark revival for us is when we see demons shrieking. And by the way, when demons shriek, they shriek through people. So when someone comes to your house church and starts shrieking, that can be a bit of a freak out moment. It's happening because what was in them that's been suppressed and denied and hiding can't hide anymore, and it's time for it to leave. So don't freak out if we come to a house church and someone starts shrieking. That's a good thing. That doesn't mean you grab security and usher them out. It means we get the demon out so that they can be set free. That will happen. It has happened, hasn't it? Not in a house church yet, but it has happened when we had a venue. I'm not going to talk about where that demon came from, but we'll move on. Um, Sometimes demons are more about religious spirits than they are the things of the world, but we're going to move on. So my point here is that Philip was just going around doing the stuff. He knew, I've got a mission, and I've got the power to fulfill the mission that I've been called to do. So I'm just going to go. And as I go, I'm going to do the stuff. What's the stuff? Cast out demons. See the lost saved. See the dead raised, possibly. See people healed. It's the same stuff Jesus did. His supernatural ministry he did on the earth. Philip knew that's going to be carried out through me and any other disciple that decides to carry on this ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's just traveling around Samaria doing the stuff. And in the middle of this, he gets a visit from an angel. An angel did not visit him and say, go to Samaria. Philip just went. Do you understand that? But now, in verse 26, he gets this this visit from an angel. And we're going to pick up this story here. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? 
Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. If you're wondering about that, that's not a gap in Scripture of time and place. That's called translocation. Philip actually got beamed from one place to another. God literally took him from one place to another. I'm not preaching on translocation here right now, but if Philip could do it, so can I. So the next time I have to book a flight to Australia and stay in a coach seat, scrunched up here, probably with a face mask now for 24 hours, Lord, if Philip can translocate, just take me to Vincinia, New South Wales right now in Jesus' name. And I guess the kids can come too. We'll see. Philip's got a visit from an angel. I'm believing for angelic visitations for us. I'm believing that in the midst of our workplaces and our family life, at the dinner table, that angels just show up. We've had them in our meetings. People have seen them. I remember one of our very first meetings we had in another home when we first started out in a home. Somebody came to me, and they described an angel playing behind who was playing guitar at the moment. And they had never seen this before. And they're like, this angel was standing, not the guitar player, sorry, the guitar player said, I saw an angel standing behind this person and described this angel in detail. And I'm like, man, that's beautiful. That's awesome. That same person called me the next day, not knowing, because I didn't mention this to anybody else, and said, I feel like something came home with me in my car, and it's in my house now. And my first question was, was it good or bad? And said, no, it's really good. And he described it. And it was the exact same thing that this other person had described. And this was the person the other person said the angel was behind. Now, I didn't see the angel. I felt them before, but I didn't see it. And I just thought, man, there's angels that visit our meetings. But this one was a very visible angel that actually spoke to Philip. And he recognized it as an angel, right? So I'm believing for angelic visitations. But this angel said something to Philip that wasn't complicated. It wasn't even difficult to do. It was a very clear and simple instruction. Go south to the desert road. That's it. Now, if I got an angelic visitation, and some people in Scripture did this, and an angel shows up into the meeting, and he says, go south to the desert road, I think I'd want a few follow-up questions to determine, should I take my car? Should I walk? Should I be packing anything? I'm a little bit of a preparer, okay? I never want to get into a situation underprepared. So I'm like, how should I dress for this? What's the weather going to be like? Who am I going to meet on the road? How is this going to happen? And the 20 questions begin to start. Philip didn't do that. The angel just says, go south to the desert road. And you know what Peter does? He gets up and he goes south to the desert road. He doesn't have the follow-up questions. Who is this guy? No further instruction is needed. And here's one of the keys I want you to understand about something that disciples know that everybody else probably doesn't. Disciples know that all they need is a mission and a direction. That's it. No further instruction was necessary. They just know I've got to act on what I've been told. 
That's the difference between just a disciple and somebody maybe who's just made a decision or a believer. A disciple knows, I just need a mission and I need a direction. The fact is, Paul did, I mean, Paul, Philip didn't even need a direction before this. He goes, I got a mission. I don't have a direction yet, so I'll just go do that mission in all directions. But when an angel shows up, he already had his mission. He already had it. What was the mission? Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And funny, the eunuch goes, why shouldn't I be baptized? I don't even know that Philip even brought up baptism. But he's like, great, that's, what I, that's my mission anyway. So yeah, let's go get baptized. He already had the mission. Now he's got the direction. A disciple just needs mission and direction. Go south to the desert road. So he picks up and goes. A disciple knows, tell me what you want and point me where to go. I pray that when I wake up in the morning, this is the way I wake up. I don't wake up and say, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? I already know. Go and make disciples. Jesus, point me where to go. Just point. Just, I don't even need to know a specific word of knowledge about what color shirt they're going to wear and what their shoes are like and how tall they're. Just point. Just point. God will give you those specific things, but I don't need them. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if he gives you those specific things, it's not just for me. It might be for the person. And it might be because he has a specific goal in mind. But I'm not waiting for specificity to obey the general thing that God's told me to do. So if he says, go and make disciples without direction, I'm just going to make disciples of everybody I see. But with clear direction, all I need to know is I need a mission and I need a direction. Holy Spirit, which direction today? And so Philip goes. He goes south to the desert road. But as he goes along the road, something interesting happens. The Holy Spirit speaks to him. Do you see, these are two different things. The first time the angel speaks to him, that's external. The second time it says the Spirit of the Lord speaks to him, that's internal. I think sometimes we're waiting for the external and we're missing the internal. We're missing the fact that the Holy Spirit may have been nudging you, as Romeo uses this word, through an unction. It's a good old King James Version. There's a nudging of you in a specific direction. And God can use both of those to speak to us. A life of simple obedience leads to greater revelation. That's the second thing a disciple knows. A life of simple obedience leads to greater revelation. Paul goes along the road because the angel of the Lord told him to without the 20 follow-up questions. And on the way, now the Holy Spirit speaks to him. Why? Because you obeyed God the first time, there's greater revelation to come. Hear and obey. Obey and hear more. You see, when God says hearing the voice of the Lord, that word hearing in Hebrew always incorporates both hearing and doing. So there's no separation between hearing and obeying. It's the same thing. If you hear and don't obey, you're not going to continue to hear. So hear and obey. And if you obey, you'll hear more. So as he goes to the south road, now he gets the the unction. He gets the nudging of the Holy Spirit. And here's how I know the Holy Spirit works in me sometimes. I wish it was as clear as the angelic visitation, but sometimes I'm just going in a direction, and the Holy Spirit goes, hmm. 
Mm. You ever have that? You ever ask your wife, hey, do you want to go for dinner? You want to get Mexican? And she goes, mm. what does that mean? No, it means keep trying. I'm not going to tell you, but keep trying. Sushi? Mm. What does that mean? Warmer? Right? How about we go out and try something new? That's a great idea. I'm like, okay, but it wasn't. No, I'm a God. I like clarity, right? People always say Romy is deep and I'm clear. That's like the difference between us. And I'm like, so I'm not deep? And she's like, I'm not clear. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. I like clarity. I like, do you want to go for Mexican? No, I don't want to go for Mexican. But instead I get, mm. because she's deep. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is just going to go, mm. but as I've walked with her and been married to her for 21 years, I know what mm, means, right? The same is true of the Holy Spirit. When you begin to make a decision, God's not always going to go, stop! But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit might just go, hmm. There was moments in my life when I, when I was in college, I kind of got into the partying, drinking scene stuff, and then I kind of rededicated my life to Christ. And I, I, I didn't drink for three years. Like I was like, I don't want anything to do with associating with my past life. And it wasn't at the point when it became a problem for me or an addiction issue. But that thing represented my past life. And so every time I had the taste of alcohol, it brought me mentally and emotionally back to an, a, a place when I was away from God. And so I remember for years as I was like, oh, I wonder if I should have a beer now. And it's not even an issue now, you know. And then I would think about it and the Holy Spirit would go, hmm. And then one day he didn't. It's like, oh, I can have a beer now, Right because it was no longer associated with my past life. Now, whether you, your choice in alcohol is your choice, all right? You know, I don't, I don't drink a lot. Don't, don't get the wrong thing here. Um, but I knew that for me, it was the voice of the Holy Spirit that for three years went, hmm. And I knew it hmm, meant. It's like, yeah, you can. It's not a sin to be drinking. It's not a sin to drink. It's a sin to be drunk, right? Um, because it's a counterfeit for the Holy Spirit. But I just know there's some moments in your life when you're just going to hear, hmm, that's the internal nudging. As you respond to that, here's what happens. That voice becomes clear. So it used to be when we were first married, when I'd say, hey, what are you doing? Hmm. And I'm like, wait, did I, did I miss something there? You know? And now that hmm is as loud as no, because I've, I've learned to understand what that means. You can walk with the Holy Spirit the same way. God can speak through angelic visitations. He can speak through the nudging of the Holy Spirit. And just as much as a, hmm, it's kind of a no, when you go on the right path that he wants, he's like, hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the unction. It's the nudging. It's the internal. A disciple knows I can hear God through prophets, angels, the Word, or the Holy Spirit in me. All of them. It's not either or. It's all of them. But I don't need one. It's not like I've got the nudge, but I'm waiting for the angel. I know some people that still to this day, I used to do this. They've got a big decision coming up in their life, 
and they lay a fleece out like Gideon did. And they say, well, if it's this, I know it's God. And if this, I know it's not. So I'm waiting for God to respond. I'm like, yeah, but if you heard the nudge, because if you hurt and felt the nudge, you don't need a fleece. God gave you the Holy Spirit so that you don't have to lay a fleece out anymore. Learn to respond to the nudge. And you will be amazed at how much the Holy Spirit will guide you in every life decision that you have. Right? So I can hear God through all of those things. Oh, gosh. This message has taken a completely different direction. But God's good. God's good. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to see the pattern that happens here. Jesus gave the mission. Matthew 28, go make disciples. An angel gives a simple instruction. Go south to the desert road. Philip obeys immediately. Philip notices the Ethiopian on the way. He just notices him. God didn't say, go along the road and you'll meet an Ethiopian and this is what's going to happen. He goes along the road, but he's not so focused on the specific instruction. Sorry, Ethiopian, I got a road to get to. As he's on the road, he's looking for possibilities. I wonder why I'm on this road. And he's looking, he's noticing things that are around him. He's tuned into the possibilities. Philip isn't waiting. Listen to me. As he goes down to the south road, Philip isn't waiting. He's looking. He's looking. I'm walking out in the obedient steps God gave me, but I'm not doing that waiting for the promise to be fulfilled, waiting for the things I've been asking for, waiting for my life to get better. I'm walking the road of obedience, and I'm looking for the possibilities of what could be. I remember I went skydiving once and I was strapped to somebody else. I did a tandem skydive. It was more bragging rights for that guy than it was for me because they had never had somebody as big as me to do it. It was quite funny um, because you're on their back, but it looked like I was carrying a, like a baby at a baby carrier kind of thing. It was very funny. But I remember this, my, my friend was telling me, he said, what's going to happen is because you free fall for a minute. It's 14,000 feet. You free fall for a minute. Then you pull and come under canopy and you float for, I don't, like, I don't know how long it is. But when you're free falling, he says, I promise you what's going to happen is all you're going to be able to do is stare at the ground coming up at you quickly. Like you get fixated on it. You get tunnel vision. He said, but look around. Make sure that you take the time to look around because it's actually pretty cool to look around and see clouds and see the whole thing. And, and you're like, remember to look around. Remember to look around. But guess what happened? I'm like, got it. Look around, look around, look around. And so we somehow fold ourselves out of this airplane. And we also had, he was a, a, a Navy SEAL and was actually part of the jump team. So he was like a professional skydiver. And several of the Navy SEAL jump team teammates were jumping with us and i'm thinking look around look around and as soon as i jump out of that plane that ground is coming up at you fast and all you can do is focus on the very dot where you think you're going to either splat or land beautifully and there's so much like 
And all I'm thinking of, honestly, all you're thinking of is I want to, I wasn't scared, but I'm focused difference, right? Not scared, <laughs> focused. And I'm looking at the ground coming up at me so fast. And I forgot to look around and we're flying like this. And what I forgot also is that there were five other guys that were doing this with us. And so what happened is I'm flying and the ground is coming up at me so fast. And then I feel someone grab my left arm and then someone grabbed my right arm. And there is never a more freak out moment is when you're flying in midair and something grabs your arm. I'm like, it's an angel of the Lord. And I forgot these other guys had flown into formation and grabbed us. And we're like, we're all going down together. And I was so freaked out. And then I remembered, oh, look around. And I looked up. And one of the guys was looking me right in the eyes and laughing at me. Because he's probably seen that face. He's like, this is awesome. And I was like, oh, look, look, look around, look around. And I started to look around. And I was like, oh, there was a guy here, 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 and here. And there was guys all around us. And I noticed the beauty of the land. But by then, it was a little bit late. So I, and then I just noticed I've got a destination to get to. And I'm on a journey. But take time to look around. You may find out that it was never about the destination of the desert road, but is who you're going to meet along the way is why God had you there. But if you're so focused on the destination, if you're so focused on your prayer getting answered that you're believing God for, that you miss the fact that if you look around in the journey of fulfilling the dream that's in your heart, in the journey of obeying the simple thing the Holy Spirit has gone mm, this way on, you'll realize that maybe the whole purpose of this was more than just the fulfillment of what you've been praying for. Maybe God had something better in mind, but you got to, Look around. Look around. See what is around you. And then we pulled canopy, and you went from like <laughs> to like whisper quiet. And then he decided to do donuts like this for a while. I said, we can stop that, or else you're going to be very messy by the time we land on the ground. Philip noticed the Ethiopian on the way. Philip wasn't waiting. Philip was looking. Then the Holy Spirit speaks. He gives further instructions, and he says, go to the chariot and stand near it. So what does he do? Goes to the chariot and stands near it. He obeys again. But he looks for an icebreaker. That's what I would call this. He looks for a way in. So at this point, he knows, okay, I noticed the Ethiopian. Now the Holy Spirit's like, mm, go towards a chariot. Now he's like, instead of looking for possibilities, now he's looking in the chariot. His field of view got narrower. Okay, I've narrowed it down to it's something in this chariot. Something in this chariot's going to happen, right? That's how the Holy Spirit works sometimes. Something around here is going to happen. So he goes to the chariot, and then now he's noticing and he's looking for a way in. I get this when I start asking the question, why am I here, Lord? Why here? It's a different question to, why am I here? Oh, why am I here? 
And then he knows, he notices that he's reading from the book of Isaiah. Now here's the other part of a disciple. Philip knew the Bible. And he knew that whatever this guy's reading, I'm going to tie that into Jesus. Because that whole thing you're reading, it's answered in Jesus. So I don't care if you're reading Leviticus, Deuteronomy. I don't care if you're reading Isaiah. I'm going to show you how that points to Jesus. He knows the Bible, and he can bring Jesus into the conversation. And he leads this Ethiopian to Christ. What a beautiful moment. I remember, and I'll close with this because we're getting there. There was a moment when, uh, when we were, um, when I was still working at another another church. Christmas Eve services were a big deal for us, so we never took vacation during Christmas Eve. But Rummy was flying the kids to Australia to meet with her parents because Christmas in Australia is the middle of summertime on the beach. It's kind of cool. So they flew over about a week early, but I just decided, all right, I'm going to fly out on Christmas Day. So I'll spend Christmas morning at my parents' house, and then I'll fly out that afternoon, and I'll catch up with them in Australia. If I'm not with my immediate family, then what's the point of, like, I don't care if I'm flying over Christmas because I'm not with my family. What's the point, right? And so I knew I could get a flight. I'll get over there. And so I remember um, I spent the, the morning with my family and then got on a plane that afternoon, flew out. I don't know why, but I booked a flight through Detroit to L.A. and then to, uh, to Sydney. And normally it's no problem at all. But I got delayed in Norfolk by three and a half hours sitting on the tarmac. For one of those things, it's like, uh, we got a warning thing, and it's probably okay, but we're not allowed to leave until we can clear it. And then it's Christmas Day. So how do you get the guy in who's supposed to clear it? Well, he took three and a half hours to get there. Finally flew out, got to Detroit, but missed my connection to L.A. Now, I'm a super resourceful guy. I will find a way to get to L.A. And I am like, I know all the tricks how to get the fastest service, you know, by the way, you call. That's the best way to get it. Don't use the app. Don't talk to a person at the airport. Call, because the people on the phone can do much more quicker than the people in the airport can. Little tip there. And so I'm like, book me on whatever to L.A. Saying, I don't care. Let's get me out of here. And she, they're like, everything's gone. Like, everything's fully booked. You know? And I said, well, at least get me to L.A., because if i got to stay here, don't make me stay in Detroit on Christmas night. <laughs> if you're from Michigan, I'm sorry. But get me to L.A., right? And now I'm getting a little frustrated because everything. And they said, well, when can you get me out? They said, we can't even get you out of Detroit for another week. That was my whole vacation, right? And so I'm like, man, I'm going to miss a week. There's no way. And I'm kind of in a place where I can't drive anywhere. I'm too far away. So it's like, uh, and I'm just getting frustrated. And so, well, we'll try to put you on standby for the next day. It's Christmas Day, right? It's like, well... Get a hotel for the night somewhere. Sorry, every hotel in Detroit's booked. And it's Detroit. It's like negative 7,000 degrees outside, right? Every hotel is booked. <sighs> well, there's one five miles away. And I was like, but there's one right in the hotel hotel in the terminal. They're like, oh, yeah, but it's way too expensive. We're not going to give you a voucher for it. I said, you're going to give me a voucher for this hotel. I said it beautifully, nice, with the love of Jesus. But I finally got this this one that's right in the terminal in the hotel, hotel right in the terminal of the airport. And I remember I'm a little frustrated, and I'm having a bit of a pity party. I'm thinking I can't get home to my family, and I might be in Detroit for a week, right? And I might have to just fly home, not even go to Australia. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going. And I put my stuff in the hotel room and came down to the restaurant for dinner because it was the only thing that was open on Christmas night. It's like, God, why am I here? 
And then this waiter, I noticed, kept coming over to me. And I said, and I just felt this nudge from the Holy Spirit. Ask him why he's working tonight. So I said, hey, man, what's your name? He told me his name. I said, how does a guy like you end up working on Christmas night? He goes, oh, well, no one else would come in. And I don't really have anything else and don't have any family, so I, uh, I figured I might as well come in and work. And he's super happy. Like, he's like, oh, you know, it's good. Okay. I was going to let it go. I'm like, I'm just going to eat my meal and go back to my room. I felt the Holy Spirit. Eh. Eh. You could do that. You could go back to your room. You were nice to him on Christmas. You'll give him a good tip. Eh. Holy Spirit goes, eh. Ugh. Comes back. So, hey, man, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, what's the dream in your heart? He goes, what? I said, what's, what's your dream? Tell me your dream. What's the dream in your heart? And he starts to stammer a little bit. And he goes, I had a dream. But it's been a long time. I said, can you tell it to me? I got time, man. I'm stuck here. And you got, I'm like your last customer. He said, years ago, he goes, this might, I didn't tell him what I did. He goes, this might sound kind of funny, but I felt a call into the ministry to be a pastor. But things didn't quite work out the way that I had hoped. I got disappointed in church life get disappointed in my leaders, I started to stumble myself. And I, this is his words, and I realized I was too far away to ever have that be fulfilled again. I was signed up to go to, to Bible college, to a seminary. And when all this stuff happened, I just dropped it. He said, so I'm waiting tables. And I'm getting a job and thinking about doing some kind of vocation, maybe go do some other career. And I realized I've been asking God the question, why am I here? And then I felt God goes, this is why you're here. I said, man, this might sound out of the blue, but I'm stuck here for the night. I'm supposed to be in Sydney. But I think God did this just to tell you that your dream is not dead and that he sees you and he loves you enough to cancel my flight to Australia. <laughs> Loosen the jaw, loosen the jaw. He loves you enough to delay my whole day just to tell you that He sees you. And what He spoke over you years ago is as real today as it was then. You have not sabotaged your dream. And He still sees in you the very thing He spoke in you years ago. And this guy goes, Who are you? I said, I'm Tony Robbins. I'm a motivational speaker. I said, it really doesn't matter. I said, I'm a pastor. I got a dream too. But I felt the Holy Spirit just tell me, hey, ask him his dream. And so I got a chance to pray over this guy. I've never seen him since. But the thing that I learned about that story is it's the same question. Why am I here? But a different spirit. Why am I here? Philip going down the road. Ooh, South Road. Okay. What's along the South Road? What, what could happen? What could happen? He hears 
go up next to the chariot. Ooh, what's going to be in the chariot? You know? I've stopped saying, what's going to be in the chariot? A pot of gold? What's going to be in the chariot? The new house? Is it a winning lottery ticket? Because you love me, you want to bless me. It might be. But it might be someone that's broken. It might be someone that's a captive, someone that's a prisoner. But now when I look in the chariot and I see a prisoner and a captive, I think of Isaiah 61. Is that we've come to proclaim freedom from the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners because they will return to the places long devastated and renew cities. So when I see brokenness, I see a renewed city. And I want to make sure that when I am obeying the simple things of God and when I'm responding to the nudges of the Holy Spirit that I can look around and go, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I don't want to be so focused on the fulfillment of the promise in my own life that I miss that God wants to do so much more through me. Do you know that the entire Ethiopian church which is now the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, traces its roots back to this eunuch. Do you know that he went back and led a revival in Ethiopia? And the Ethiopian church today traces its roots back to this man. If you were to ask this man who he would trace it back to, it's just some guy that heard the nudge of the Holy Spirit came up next to my chariot and explained the gospel to me. A simple response to a nudge led to the founding of a church that still exists today. The other thing I read in this story is that look at the passage of Scripture that this guy was reading. Do you know what a eunuch is? It's someone who, in order for them to be of service, they have to be castrated, fully castrated so that they could not usurp the throne and produce an heir. If you can't produce an heir, you can't start a new kingdom. So by being castrated, it means that I can trust you because you could never overtake me, because you can never reproduce. Listen to the Scripture. He was led like a a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shearers, don't want to paint a picture there, is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, do you know how humiliating it would be to be a eunuch? He was deprived of justice. But who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Can you imagine this eunuch reading this passage and going, I know what that feels like. I can't reproduce. I have had my natural ability to reproduce taken from me so that I could be of service to someone else. And he's reading this, and he goes, Philip goes, ah, that's Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what you've been through. He knows what you feel. But Jesus brings dead things to life. And here this man, who could never have any natural children of his own, has explained to him that there is a Savior Who can bring dead things to life? You can't produce natural children, but he's the father of a church that exists today. What you saw as the end of your story is not even close. If you can receive the salvation, the gift of salvation that Jesus has for you, you have no idea the number of descendants that you'll have. You could not number them like the stars in the sky or the sands in the seashore. 
if you'll put your trust in him. Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com. 